The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Gosh, there is uh, nothing better, Sam's right, in the presence of the Lord, man. Thanks for leading us in worship, Sam. Um, my name's Mitch. If you haven't met yet, then uh, usually I'm over in the coffee shop on Wednesday nights with the junior hires. And in the other building, we're kind of like secluded over there with the junior hires in the hub on Sunday mornings. Uh, but it's nice to meet you. I'm really excited to be here tonight opening up uh, the book of Ecclesiastes with you guys. Um, so why don't you guys just open up? We won't waste any time. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is where we'll be. And while you're turning there, uh, I'm going to pray one more time and we'll get going. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for worship. Lord, we know that our lives are, uh, we can do everything in life as unto thee, and that's worship, Lord. But for me and for a lot of us, there's something about just lifting up our voices in praise unto you. It's the best thing, Lord, and, and we're just so excited that we get to do that and so excited that we get to study your word, Lord. So thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I absolutely love the Bible, okay? As a Christian man, I want to know the Bible well. I want to teach it well, and I just thoroughly enjoy reading it. You got stories of triumph, stories of victory and war for the young men. Those are always fun, uh, you got messages of justice, judgment, perfect love, all breathed out by the God of the universe. It's as good as it gets, what's not to like. And every once in a while, especially when you're young in the Lord, you haven't been saved for very long, you run into passages or texts um, that you have to grapple with a little bit. There's a struggle there, if you would. There's a little bit of a wrestling Match and, and with the junior hires, a lot of times that's what we encourage them to do is when you find those texts, when you find those, those verses, don't just let them pass by and not learn about them, but dig in, write down a question mark in your Bible, figure it out, bring them to one of us, and we'll do our best to answer the question. Um, but I got to be honest with you guys, for me even tonight, Ecclesiastes 8, where we're going to be, is one of those texts. Like I read it over and over again, trying to get ready for this week, and I'm like, God, what? are you saying in this chapter? Like I started from Ecclesiastes 1, went all the way through to try to get the flow of it. And the first paragraph of this chapter, I'm, stu- I'm like, what? What is it talking about? Lord, give me wisdom. But here's kind of what I found in the last two days. As two days ago, I was not very excited about coming here to teach you guys, um, if I'm honest with myself. Not too excited about unpacking chapter 8 to tonight where I'm just super blessed, excited, and encouraged to open this up. Um, it's the struggle, the wrestle is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a great thing because in that we're forced to realize and remember that we're not doing any of this on our own power. We're relying fully on the power of God inside of us. That's where our hope rests. Um, trying to find find out the meaning of a text and trying to discern what it means. It gets a little crazy, but all in all, that's where I've been with this text. So just a little backdrop. 
Um, but I'm excited to jump in. So we're going to read all of it, and then I'm going to kind of focus in on a couple verses right here in the middle. So if you guys would just follow along with me uh, as I read this out loud. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for he can tell, or for, I'm sorry, for who can tell how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Deep breath. Okay, that's over with. Verse 10, we can keep going. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentences against the evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this is also vanity, and I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know he cannot find it out. So guys, as I approached this chapter begging for God to give me a word for this Wednesday night crew, uh, the first thing that came to mind is when Jesus comes to Peter after Peter's denied him three times and asks Peter if he loves him. And he says, hey, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. To so say, okay, God, that's what I'm going to be doing on Wednesday night. I'm feeding the flock at Heritage. This is awesome. But what is this? I can't tackle this whole chapter in one week. What is it that you want me to chat about? What do you want to tackle? And really the verses that stood out are verses 12 through about 15. 
I feel like it's something the Lord's put heavy on my heart as he's gotten me excited for this. So we're going to go through them one more time, but first thing, I want to lay out some observations that Solomon's made in life, okay? Because we know that he's a guy that studied everything under the sun, He's kind of done everything, right? All pleasure. He's had tons of wives, tons of concubines. He's tried to satisfy himself with everything. And he's seen it all. And a lot of it, he says, is vanity. He's kind of cynical, kind of depressing a little bit. Uh, but I want to look at three observations that we're going to kind of unpack here. So the first one is in verse 11. And it says this, that judgment against an evil deed is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of man is fully set to do evil. So that's something he's observed because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Observation number one. Observation number two is though sinners do evil a hundred times, their lives are somehow prolonged. Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, dot, 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 it's continue, but this is an observation that Solomon has concerning his study of the way things work. And then observation number three is in verse 14, and he says that there's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Observation number three is he says, hey, I see an un, like something in unjust. Okay, there's an injustice in the world, and this is it. There are righteous people that get ultimately what the wicked deserve, and wicked people that get what the righteous people deserve. He says it's unjust, it's unfair, it doesn't make any sense. And guys, I can totally relate to this, right? It's easy to dig in and say, oh, I know what he's talking about because I'm a follower of Christ. And no, riches and pleasure aren't promised to me in this life. It's easy for me to look at the wicked and say, well, why do they have their health? Why do they have so much wealth? Why are they prospering when I know so many Christians that are suffering in the present day? It's easy to get in that mindset, it's easy to make the same observations that Solomon makes. But he's not, only, he's not the only one that makes these. In fact, the world, the unbelievers, make these same observations about life, right? How many of you guys have talked to a Christian, I'm sorry, a non-Christian, uh, that brought up the question, hey, if God is good, why does blank, my aunt have cancer, right? These questions, why do bad things happen to good people? That's at least an excuse that they use for why they're unwilling to submit under the authority and lordship of Christ. It's always something that's brought up so the world sees it too. You, you, you can't help but see evil and injustice in the world. The bummer part, and I'll get into this as we explore, but the bummer part is even I fall into that a lot too. It's easy for all of us to see these things, but I kind of get behind that thinking. I'll give you an example uh, just with my life a little bit. I grew up in Sonoma County, California, probably like an hour and a half north of San Francisco. Uh, and to me, sports were absolutely everything, like most young kids, right? I mean, my dad, my mom, my sister, me, we're all athletes playing multiple sports every year. And uh, to take it even a step further, we watched most of the 162 
games that the San Francisco Giants would play every year, whether it be on our couch or at the park. And, and the Lord knows that on Sundays from like September kind of to February, there's no way I would miss a 49er game, right? Even if that meant skipping out on church, this is how much I loved sports. And, and they're not a bad thing, don't get me wrong, I love sports still, but what I was doing was taking a good thing in sports and I was relying on it, it was my life, right? And so I started justifying it. Like sports, they're good, they build character, yeah, which is true. They provide framework for your life, that's true. They teach us discipline, that's true. But what happened is I took this good thing in sports and I made it a God thing. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's then a bad thing. It was idolatry in my life. Athletics, baseball, football, you name it. And the bummer thing is when I knew the Lord, there's still traces of this in my heart and they're still there today. As we know, our sin is not completely gone. I still love me some 49er games. Um, but in 2011, my wife and I move up to Jacksonville and uh, I'm playing the ultra competitive slow pitch softball, you know, old man softball. And I'm working at Best Buy at the time and I remember it super clearly. One day my back just didn't feel right. And, and I was like, man, something's a little weird. I got a little bit of a limp going on, but it's okay. It'll be fine. It always has been fine. So I keep playing, and three days after this happens, it just keeps getting worse and worse to the point where I can't even walk. And I'm confused. None of this, nothing like this has ever happened to me before. But I literally am taking steps like this down the aisle at Best Buy, and when the nerve shoots down my leg, it takes my breath away. If any of you guys have had nerve pain, it just wrecks you, like brings you down to the floor. You can't breathe. It's crazy. But I'm experiencing this, and, and little did I know that it wasn't the only time it was going to happen. In fact, that was the mark of, what, a five-year journey almost up to this point where my back still gives me issues all the time, and we're still working on it. But this is the point. Though through the injury, God has been gracious to me, and I read Scripture, and I see that Man, God's working everything for my good, and he loves me, and he's, he's chiseling away to make me more like Jesus. Though I know those things, there's been a couple times where I haven't been shy before the Lord to ask the question, why me? Right? Because I was in that spot where it's like, hey, the righteous are getting what the wicked deserve. Right? And all of a sudden, I'm calling upon my good works, almost thinking that I have earned something, earned good health from God, something that I've done, whether it be like, hey God, I'm a Christian, what's up? There's a lot of wicked people that can still run around and play sports, why can't I? Or hey God, I'm a good guy, right? I do more good stuff than bad stuff, and so I should be able to walk. That's an easy request, right? If you can do anything, why aren't you doing anything for this? And then I get really foolish, and I start talking about ministry. I'm like, God, I've done all this ministry for you, and this is how you're going to treat your servant? So dumb. But I get in this mentality where I actually think that I've somehow earned a spot before God to plead for my selfish request, and that's not the truth. So we too often fall into the same observations. We can look at life, whether from our perspective or seeing somebody else and say, and say, yeah, why are the wicked getting what the righteous deserve and the righteous getting what the wicked deserve? It doesn't make sense. So here's what I want to dig into. And I'm going to pause for a second. I, I was talking to my friend Stephen last night and he said, hey, 
just something about Ecclesiastes, hear me out. The book of Job is a book full of theology, right? Yeah, but a lot of it's bad, okay? A lot of it doesn't make any sense because Job's friends are like telling him stuff that's completely wrong and unbiblical. And he says, hey, just keep that in mind because at times you'll read something like this verse that we're talking about, um, how, man, there's just injustice and there's good people and bad people. And you gotta be careful because as Christians, we can fall into the trap of seeing that as correct. And I'm gonna build my case in a second as to why I believe it's not. Okay, so under these three observations that Solomon makes, that we make as Christians sometimes, and that the world makes about injustice in the world, there's two assumptions that are underneath these observations that really set the foundation for what the argument is. Okay, the assumption number one in reading this text, the assumption number one is that there's good people and there's bad people. Right? Because if the good people are getting what the bad deserve, that means that there are good people and bad people. We're going to tackle that in a second. Assumption number two, in Solomon's perfect world and in ours, when we get in this mindset, people should get what they deserve. And a lot of that is based on works. Okay? It's a works-based righteousness. People should get what they deserve. If we live in a fair world, this is what would happen. So we're going to look at these two assumptions. We're going to open the scriptures and check them out. Assumption number one, there are good people and there are bad people. Probably my favorite assumption to debunk in the whole Bible because it's not true. Okay, Romans 3.10, quoting the Psalms, says, None is righteous, no, not one. Pretty clear, Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short, of the glory of God, probably a verse that you guys are well acquainted with. So here's the deal. It sets up a standard, right? All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the standard. Okay, so if we're living life looking at good people and bad people, maybe comparing ourselves to somebody else, we have an issue. Because compared to somebody else, I might do more good in any given day than them or less good and therefore some might appear to be more righteous than me or less righteous than me, right? That's how we get that whole balance system is when we're looking at our peers and, set, and, and making the standard like how do I relate to them? Like compared to my brother, am I more righteous and more holy or am I more wicked? But... The standard is set not by our peers or people around us, but the clear standard is set by God. And that standard is absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. In fact, Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, no one is good except God alone. They call him a good teacher. He's like, hey, no one's good except God alone. That right there lays a solid foundation for our rebuttal to this assumption that there are good people and bad people. The rebuttal is this, there are bad people and there are bad people with Jesus. Okay, that's the truth. Okay, there's not good and bad people, but there's bad people and there's bad people with Jesus. That is the truth that we find in Scripture. You guys know this, but on our own, based on works and merit, we don't deserve anything. All we really deserve is death and swift judgment. Let's just be honest, right? But our righteousness comes from Christ, but still, apart from Him, we're still bad. Newsflash, right? We will not be perfect until we receive these glorified bodies and we're made perfect as Christ is when he comes back and establishes the new heaven, new earth. 
we will be perfect when we die. Assumption number two in God's economy, well, assumption number two was that people should get what they deserve in a perfect, fair world. Uh, But to debunk that, in God's economy, praise Jesus, people often do not get what they deserve. And this is how it really works in life. Thankfully, what God sees uh, as reality is reality, right? He sets it. So an example for this, people not getting what they deserve, Christians. Perfect, right? This is easy. Because, hey, we don't deserve God's grace, but he gives it. Okay, we don't deserve love, but it's ours completely in Jesus. In fact, we deserve hell, but we've been spared because of what he has done. So if the world worked as Solomon assumes it does by talking about this judgment, right? Good people, bad people, it's unjust because people aren't getting what they deserve. He wants there to be a world where people get what they deserve. But he really doesn't, right? I kind of had fun with this. I want you to have fun with me. If that were the case, okay, if God worked like that, and God only did what was fair through this lens, basically a do good, get good, do bad, get bad kind of world, if everything was fair, then Jesus never would have taken on flesh, Right? Because if everybody's getting what they deserve, then him coming down from heaven, from, he's been there from eternity past with the Father, him coming down is totally unfair. One for him, and we don't deserve that anyways. Because we're bad people. Right? So if we live in a fair world, then that never happens. And if we live in a fair world, next up is grace. Right? You've got to throw that out. No undeserved gifts from God at all. Because that would just be unfair. And then that would take away common grace. Okay, common grace. The Bible says, hey, look, common grace. This is God showing grace to Christians and non-Christians alike. You have the sun that comes up every day. You have air to breathe. It rains on the just and the unjust. It's necessary to grow food. You need water. All this stuff happens to everybody. It's God's common grace grace that he's showing. So if we live in a fair world, as Solomon says, ultimately, then that's gone. And then you got to throw out the cross, atonement, payment for sins. And then what does that leave us with? Our sin squarely on our shoulders with the wrath of God ready to come right down on us. Okay. Super scary. You do not want to be in that position. No lamb, no sacrifice, no blood, but your own. Me, you, and Solomon would all be up a creek. That's the truth. So don't forget that we stand, we breathe, we have our being by the grace of God. 100% grace. Don't let yourself slip into comparing yourself, judging righteousness, good or bad. No, it's grace that you stand on. You don't deserve it. You're not better than anybody else. You haven't earned it, but God has given it, and so it's ours for the taking. Guys, if, let me step away. Guys, if you've been living under a self-imposed burden of trying to earn the favor of God, you have to smash that right now. Because there's no fruit in that. There's no hope in that. There's no truth in that. Nothing. That's right where Satan wants us to be. 
right? Because what happens is we will fail because we do as humans. And then we don't feel worthy to come before the throne of grace like the Bible says we should do boldly. And so we stay away. And when we're not plugged in, when we're not pressing in and abiding in Christ, then Satan comes creeping along, right? Because he's seeking whom he may devour. And we're weak. So we have to remember that we stand on the grace of God. And if you've been weighing the good and bad in your life like the world does often, trying to, trying to figure out, make sure you're on the right side of the scale, smash that scale too. Because if you're anything like me, the scale's just fully down on the bad side and I got nothing to do. I'm completely dead, completely helpless, in need of saving. I can't fix anything. No matter how hard I try, that will not tilt the other way. It's grace, our rest, our hope, our salvation is in the grace of God alone. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I'm just going to throw out some verses for you guys that again are well known. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? If salvation had anything to do with works, then we could say, oh, just, just to accept Jesus like me, I just made the right choice, I did the right things, and now God loves me. It has nothing to do with it, but ultimately it's a gift. It's grace. We don't deserve it. And what about after we're saved, right? Because that's salvation. But what about after? Well, we know in the book of Galatians, these Judaizers, they call them, came to the church and they started preaching that, hey, it's not, it's not just Jesus. Jesus isn't enough, but instead you need to add these couple rules onto it. Like you need to get circumcised and you need this. It was Jesus plus something. And Paul uh, defending his church says, hey, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's us, guys. It's grace, 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 grace over and over again. Do not fall into legalism. World, the world is not a do good, get good, do bad, get bad kind of place. It's everyone is bad and God has mercy. That's it, period. So, okay, Mitch, uh, we're still affected by evil, right? We still suffer in this life. I still don't have enough money, perhaps you say, to get me through this month. And I know that the works-based mindset is sin, but here's what I still see. I'm a child of God. My, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, yet why are the wicked, the ones that don't even know him, the people that are spitting in his face, why are they so prosperous? Because here's the deal, right? Okay, we know this mentality is wrong in like comparing ourselves and judging. But here's the deal. If life was that easy to know something's wrong and never do it again, dude, I'd be so stinking happy, right? Like we know something's wrong and we all of a sudden have the willpower to never touch it again. That would be super awesome. But the truth is we still can struggle with this. We still can get envious of the wicked and, and slide back into this mindset of like, well, I'm better than them. Why are they prospering when I'm not? I'm better. I've done more. I'm a Christian. Or, or why don't I have what they have? And this is the solution that Solomon brings up here in, uh, in Ecclesiastes. And then we're going to all go over to Psalm 73 in a little bit and look at that as well. But the solution is this. Day to day, when we're struggling with this and we're falling back into that 
works-based mindset, where do we go? We go to the end. We go to eternity. Okay, an eternal mindset. Ecclesiastes 8.12, where we're at, says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, right? Future tense, it will be well. If you're a believer suffering through life, feeling like he maybe doesn't care, he's not invested, he's not present, take heart, okay? Though it doesn't seem like it now, it will go well with those who fear God. I know these feelings, Okay, so many Christians know these feelings. You're sitting in life like, how could this ever be redeemed? Where in the world is God? And this is what I would say, trust in the promises of God. Okay, Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for your good. He's sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. So all these trials, all this suffering is being used by him to make us more like him, preparing us for eternity. And there's a promised inheritance waiting for you that's undefiled. It's perfect. There's no blemish. There's a crown of life waiting for those who persevere to the end, James 1 says. So guys, if you find yourself on the side of Okay, I'm a follower of Christ. I look out and I see everybody's prospering but me. What's the deal? Where's God? Say, fix your eyes on eternity. Don't start weighing things. It's grace. And you put your head down and you fix your eyes on Jesus and you run the race hard. God is faithful. Though it doesn't seem like it now, perhaps, or you're a little confused about some injustice that seems to be in the world, say, you know what? I'm trusting God. I'm going to run the race. I'm going to fix my eyes on eternity because I know that God's faithful and what he's promised for me there is perfection. And what he's promised for me there is no more tears. He's going to wipe them all away. And what he promised for us there is that we're going to have Jesus. And he's the biggest, he's the best treasure ever. And so wait, run hard. Jesus is going to be ours. And that's good news. Um, So what about the other side? Right in verse 13 it says, But it will not go well for the wicked. Because here's the truth, right? Justice is something that belongs to God, right? We read in scripture that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so if we get discouraged, and if we're in a rut, where do we go? It's the same answer, we go to the end. Do me a favor, if you could turn to Psalm 73, please. Psalm 73. One of my top three favorite psalms in the Bible. Very, very cool stuff. But the author was very much dealing with something that you and I might deal with as Christians as it relates to this topic of the wicked seeming like uh, their punishment is not coming, judgment is not falling, God may be sleeping and they're just enjoying life while I'm here suffering. It says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. 
For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There it is. This is what he says about the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff. They speak with malice and they threaten oppression. They even set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? They even go on mocking the heavens. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And in verse 13, he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Right? If we're looking just to this life, then we see that, that man, so many times it feels like we're washing our hands in vain. Like it's not doing anything. Because in this life, we see other people getting the things that we maybe desire. But this is what he says in verse 16. And this is exactly what Solomon says and what we should take heart with. It says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Solomon came to the same conclusion. He says, hey, I don't know what the answer is, but I commend joy. And he goes on that rant. But in verse 17, the psalmist says, it was a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Guys, will sin go unpunished? Absolutely not. Love, love explaining this to the kids. That The Bible calls God a just judge. And what that means is, is the same thing in person, right? If a murderer walks into a courtroom, everybody knows he's guilty, but the judge lets him off the hook. That judge is not righteous or just at all, but he's a fraud, right? He's unrighteous because he's clearly not doing the job that's been given to him to uphold and maintain justice. So he lets this murderer go. That would not be good. So God as the judge of the universe absolutely has to pay for sin, Okay, if he doesn't, he's in the same spot, right? Like, how can you let sin just go rampant in your courtroom, in your universe? But the best part is this, for me and you, right? It's good news because that wrath was poured out on Jesus. So under the umbrella of Jesus' blood, we're tucked under there, we're hidden. So the wrath that was poured out on Jesus is not poured out on us, but... The Bible says that the wrath of God abides on those who aren't not under that umbrella of Christ's blood and surrendered to his lordship for salvation. So no matter what we see in life, okay, the wicked enjoying every pleasure, seemingly no repercussion or consequences, our focus needs to be on eternity. Jesus is worth it, okay? The race is worth it. The trials are worth it. 
injustice, the suffering, it's all worth it. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, right? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. No matter what you're going through now, it doesn't even compare to the glory that those things are going to produce in eternity. There's no question. There's no question. So here's the deal. For the wicked, justice is coming, right? Judgment is coming. And listen, for us as Christians, this is fuel, okay? Fuel for our lives, fuel for our mission and our ministries. It is comforting to know, as we stated earlier, that God will make everything right again and sin will be squashed entirely, right? Without that, that has to happen because God's in the business of redeeming and restoring everything. He's making all things new. So sin has no place. So it's good and it's comforting to know that that's going to happen. Extremely comforting to know that I'm in Christ. But here's the deal. The fact that judgment is coming is fuel for our lives. And this is why. When we look at rampant sin and evil that's infesting the world, a lot of times we start to question, why isn't Jesus coming back, right? And there's a very clear answer in Scripture. And, and the answer is, is this, that God is not slow, as some of you count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's heart is very much, hey, I just want to execute judgment on everybody I possibly can. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, judgment has to be paid. I'm making all things new, but here's what I want to do. I want to redeem and restore as many people. I want people to be saved. And so for us, this idea of judgment in the end times coming, it should fuel our lives and fuel the mission that Jesus gave us, which is this, to go out into all the nations, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus. That should be the fuel for our life and ministry. Okay, I want to have the heart of Jesus. I want to have the heart of Jesus with people. I see wicked people, and I don't want to be like, gosh, call down judgment. I wish they would just die already. It's like, no, I don't want to pray a Davidic prayer like David in the Psalms. He prays like, oh, God, destroy my enemies Oh, that they would just die, you know, like really intense prayers. But those aren't necessarily for us to pray because my heart has been transformed by the gospel and I've been saved and I've seen that the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ and I don't have to bear that burden anymore. I've been saved and I want other people to know that same sweet salvation that I have known in Christ. Gosh, guys, we've been spared from what we deserve. We've been spared from what we deserve, and we should want others to be spared as well. We don't want to introduce them to, to a world of, of uh, I say it again, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. But we want, to, we want to introduce them to the King of Kings, an amazing grace that we've all sung about for so long. So, I want to I want to tackle one more verse with you guys. I'm almost done, and Sam's going to come up and lead us in some more worship. But I'm uh, going back to Ecclesiastes chapter eight. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong; I see where Solomon's coming with this, but um, 
feel like there's more. Verse 15, right after he says uh, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and the wicked according to the righteous. And I said that this is also vanity. So he goes right from there to say this, that I commend joy. For we can't understand that, okay? But this is what I do commend is joy. And for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this, is the, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life. God has given him under the sun. I get it. He's seen everything, right? He's seen everything under the sun, and he's seen, he's talked about over and over again that everybody dies, right? It's like no matter if you're wise or foolish, you die. And then it doesn't matter. You don't even know what's going to happen after your life. If you have a bunch of riches, somebody's going to come and take them and squander them. You don't know if that person's going to be wise. So it's just so funny. He's in this cynical spot where everything is vanity, And he's depressed, and he's like, you know what? I can't understand this vexing issue, this thing. I just don't get it, why judgment or justice works like this. But you know what? Forget it. I just say, be joyful, be happy, just eat, drink, and be merry. Well, I get it, and I want to enjoy the gifts of God. And he goes into it more. But man, the wording, it says, but he has no good thing under the sun but to eat, drink, and I'm like, really, no good thing? Like, is that true? Because if I read the New Testament, the Gospels, and, and Jesus is like, hey, listen, you guys are on a mission. Like, you guys are the vessels through which I'm going to spread the good news to the world. I'm going to use you. It's like, uh, me, Lord? Are you serious? Do you know anything about me? He's like, yeah, I know everything. You don't deserve it, but there's grace. So guys, as... as we walk with the Lord, and as Jesus is making us more like himself, we press on carrying the mission that he gave us, not looking to circumstances in life right now, not getting weighed down by that, but looking to eternity while running hard, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and teaching them to obey. That is more than just laying back and relaxing, eating, drinking, right? There's more. We have a mission and a purpose. Gosh, I want to enjoy the good gifts that God's given, but I also want this idea of judgment to fuel our lives. I want us to walk out of here and say, God, thank you for your grace. Gosh, I see that I don't deserve it. Forgive me, Lord, for forever thinking that I could do anything to earn something with you. And I also... God, I want to share the gospel. So guys, whatever you're going through, whatever you feel like, uh, if it's unfair, if you see the wicked prospering, guys, just take heart, okay? I want to entrust our hearts to our Father and just sprint, man, sprint towards these eternal promises with an eternal perspective uh, running towards the inheritance ultimately that we have in Christ. Let me pray real quick, and then Sam will come up and... uh, Lead us in some songs. God, we're, th- we're beyond thankful that we, we don't get what we deserve. And God, far be it from us to call ourselves good people, right? Because we're, we're measuring against the standard of the perfectly holy God. And, and Lord, we fall short every time and there's nothing we could do 
to get to that standard if you hadn't come down, lived that perfect life, and on the cross, while you take our sins, give us that righteousness as well, so that in the eyes of God, we're perfect. Lord, we rely completely on your grace. And God, we don't just sit on that. It's not just for ourselves, but God, you've changed our hearts and you've motivated us and given us a fire. You've given us your Holy Spirit to go out and share the good news of that grace with other people who don't even know they need it. God, we know that judgment is coming and we're thankful that we're covered. And God, I pray that even right now you'd bring names like people Lord, people to mind that do not know you, that need the saving grace that we have experienced through your son. God, I pray that we would be a people carrying out the good news to the nations as you commanded us to do. And in that, Lord, we're exceedingly blessed. No matter what's going on, Lord, we're walking with you, we're pressing in. We get to be part of your team. We're adopted into your family. And now every single second of every day for the rest of our lives is not meaningless, Lord, but it's awesome. It may be hard, but we have you and we have eternity to look forward to. And God, that's better than anything we can imagine. It's better than what we see the wicked having in entirety right now. It's so much better, God. So Lord, as we, we just give you praise for all these things. We pray this in Jesus' name.